Warning, the Catholic Man Show is about to begin. If you're looking for a dull, feel-good religion, or clap your hands, sit around the campfire, kumbaya, you've come to the wrong place. We are dealing with toxic levels of authentic masculinity. I would say good luck, but luck is for payment. And welcome to the Catholic Man Show. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass. I'm Adam Minahan, sitting here with David Niles, and we have our favorite Cajun in the house, Mr. Carlo Broussard. Carlo, thanks so much for hanging out with us, bud. Hey guys, it's great to be with y'all. This is going to be a. Uh, this is going to be. Remember, he's the Cajun uncaging the, the truth. truth. Cajun yes. uncaging the truth. That's that. <laughs> that is the uh, slogan that we gave you. So when you make millions off Amen. of it, rem- remember us. I love it, man. I'll have to put that on my tombstone when I get buried <laughs> six feet under. Right. <laughs> Compliments of Adam and David. <laughs> <laughs> That's epic. If you can make it on somebody's tombstone, that means yeah. That. <laughs> You're doing. You're, you did something well. You were impactful. Yes. Yes. Uh, so, right. Carlo, before we get going on, on, on you know, obviously that we have the man beverage, we have the man gear. Uh, I just want to let you know I have been wanting to do this topic for I would say a year. Long time. It's been a long time, and I I knew you that Dave and I could. Pretty high, brother. Well, I knew Dave and I couldn't do it ourselves because it's not a topic that <laughs> that we're experts on. And so, or even close, or, or even yeah, even amateurs, right? Yeah, I agree. Uh, but we we knew we wanted to have somebody on that we could figure out how can we talk about it where everybody else can figure. You know, it's still on everybody else's level because we're talking about philosophy sure. today. That's what we're going to talk about, and right. a lot of uh, you know philosophers will be at least for me way over way over my head. They'll start talking about the causes, efficient causes. I mean, just they're sometimes they're just. Right. And so right. the, the, the goal um, was trying to find somebody who knows what they're talking about, but yet can talk on my my level. Hence yeah. why we have you here, which I'm pumped about. I'm flattered, Adam. Thank you, brother. Hopefully I can live up to those expectations, man, because well, one of the things I get critiqued on the most is I, I get too heady sometimes and I fly no. over people's heads. My mom always tells me, Carlo. You got to define those terms. That's too heady knowledge for me. <laughs> <laughs> My mom is always a good gauge for me, brother. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, she, yeah, sa- always, she sounds like always telling she me gives th- good advice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's too big a word, son. Uh, before we get going, also I want to make sure that we mentioned last time we had you on. You you had just finished your book, Prepare the Way. You can get that at Catholic.com or Amazon, I'm sure. Um, but uh, to give us a little brief blip on on what sure. Prepare the Way is. Yeah, so the title is Prepare the Way, subtitle is Overcoming Obstacles to God, the Gospel, and the Church, and that's primarily what the book is about. So it's written for the Catholic, primarily, who's going out and evangelizing, and I coach you in strategies on how to remove obstacles to truth, God, Jesus, Christianity as a religion in general, and the church. And so it's primarily to equip you to evangelize unbelievers, 
skeptics, people who might be skeptical of the Christian religion and Jesus, mm-hmm. and then unbelievers and skeptics who have their own beefs with the Catholic Church. So it's not obstacles that Protestants would have with the Catholic Church, such as Mary the Saints, Pope, etc., mm-hmm. but certain obstacles that unbelievers from the outside might have or struggle with, some things that unbelievers might struggle with when they're looking into the Catholic Church. So the idea of ritual seems pretty superstitious, you know, all those relics and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of our stance on human sexuality, right? Our stance on abortion, certain things like that. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it, people are, are digging it. They're, yep. they're enjoying it. Uh, they're getting a lot out of it. And uh, it's helping them in their dialogue. So, uh, yeah, I would encourage your listeners and viewers to, to get a hold of it at shop.catholic.com. And we know that it's been effective. We've had guys on the Council of Man uh, say that they just finished reading it and how, how helpful it was. So Yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. That's good to hear. So anyway, so we have a very special beverage tonight, Carlo. Dave, I'll let you – you received it. Um, so I'll let you kind of tell, tell the story behind the beverage. Okay, so uh, Council of Man member Michael Moore mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, sent this to us. He's a newer member Sure. Um and he and I talked. It's difficult to ship alcohol to Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, but he was able to make it work. Um, this is a bottle of wine that he was a big fan of. He sent. He even recorded um, the uh, the tasting notes. The tasting notes. He had like a wine expert uh-huh. um, record them, and he sent them to me. And I listened to them. Uh, it was about a month ago, though, and so I've totally forgotten most all of, of it. what they said. And. I like we just now started recording and I said, oh, I meant to listen to that again before we started. Uh, so we're just going to we're going to test our <laughs> test our abilities, our, pa- our palate. When we're done, I'm going to go back and listen to it again for sure. Yeah. And, and see, see how we, wrong we yeah, were. See if we get it anywhere close. <laughs> we'll, we'll post it on, on Facebook once we figure okay, it out. Because wine is not what we're practiced at. Yeah. Hey, man, pa- just act like you know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. That's what we do all the time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here, here we go. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. Cheers to Jesus. Now, before I'm going to taste this, before you start tasting it, I want you to tell them the story. Because okay. this is something you have to tell. Okay, so last week, we were, in, we were at Clear Creek Abbey, and we were fortunate enough to be recording with one of the monks, uh, Brother Nesbitt. And they converse in Latin, uh, like... That's the, not only do they do all their prayers in Latin, but they all know Latin, like they're fluent and they speak it to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's on there and I said, Iubensium Yesu, which Google Translate, I went back and checked, still says means cheers to Jesus. And he was like, oh, um, hmm, well, I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, and he was very polite on there. And then as soon as the segment was over, he starts laughing. He goes, yeah, that makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't mean cheers to Jesus. <laughs> I don't know what it means, but it doesn't mean. And he's like, later on, he, I met him like later that day. And he said, I've been thinking about it. And it means something like, to you who is one, you know, and it like meant this mm-hmm. weird kind of convoluted uh, phrasing. Yeah. Anyway, if you... Google, Google got it wrong, brother. They lied yeah, to me. They, they lied. lied to me. And it's still, the, I, I checked it again today. Yeah. It says, Eubensium. Dude, dude, but not only did he call you out on, on the Latin part, but he called you out on the philosophical understanding of cheers to Jesus. Which I have since, he said, it doesn't make sense to cheers to Jesus because 
you don't wish it's like you're wishing something to him but he has everything already i i don't think I which think could be just like epically terrible for our like tagline because <laughs> we built this whole <laughs> cheers, cheers to jesus and it could just completely Although, crumble i have thought about this and I, I think he was conflating toasting someone and cheersing to someone so when you toast someone you know at a wedding and you know it's like you know may the bride and groom have all these you know run of like, like that's a toast mm-hmm. a cheers is just to adam you know, like like we're celebrating Adam with this drink. So when you cheers Jesus, we're celebrating Jesus. Jesus. So I think it's still fine. Whew. I think so. I would agree with that, David. I think you have salvaged the Catholic man mantra, man. By the, by the grace of God. <laughs> we're sweating bullets over here, like saying lies this whole time. <laughs> so what do you think? You tried it. Okay. So, yeah, I, I, I think that it... Uh, I, I get hints of berry. I mean, the cabs mm-hmm. for me are. I'm assuming this is a cab. Is this a cab? No, it's a claret. Okay. Um, I'm very unfamiliar with clarets, but I I have. Uh, it's oh, we're drinking Donati Family Vineyard. DFV is the name. Uh, it's a claret. Cabernet. It's so it's a blend of Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Malbec, Petit Verdot, and and Cabernet Franc. Franc. I've never heard of Cabernet Franc, a different Cabernet grape. Apparently, you don't know what's going on, but Hmm. it's from California. Yeah, where you where you're from, Carla? You guys have good grapes there in California. That's what I'm told. I don't get out much, man. I go to work, I come home, take care of family. That's about it. Yeah. Um. So, Carla, just for for those who may be just listening, tuning into our show, this is their first time. You've been on the show about. Uh, I think this is your third time now, but um, you, know, so. uh, you know the first thing we do is open re- uh, open review and enjoy a man beverage, and it, that's just to showcase the virtue mm-hmm. of moderation. It's to promote the virtue of temperance. It's to we enjoy it. We enjoy the finer things in life. Uh, we have a very Chestertonian angle to it, where you know it the virtue is always in the middle, and you can enjoy these things in moderation. It kind of cultivates a friendship. Um, yeah, and it's about building discussion. Co- building community, you know. Yeah, kind of like whenever you, like, Dave, you always say it's kind of like when you share a meal with somebody. It's kind of yeah. the same thing with like sharing a drink with somebody. Amen. Yeah. That. yeah. So, um, yeah, Carl- as, as 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 I would say, in light of my Spitzerian training with Father Robert Spitzer, it's the enjoyment of level one happiness in light of level four happiness. Ooh. Enjoying the created, enjoying the created goods, but with an eternal perspective i like that and we, we talked we actually should, talked about we talked about uh the four levels of manliness on the first time you came on which, which are based that's off right. of the, you know four levels yeah. of happiness yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah that's that's the whole idea that is there's nothing wrong with pursuing pleasures in life as long as they're pursued as you mentioned adam in moderation but that's motivated and driven for us as christian men particularly catholic men by the eternal perspective we partake of these goods in moderation, not only for our own good and virtue, but ultimately for our union with God. And right. it is precisely in light of that eternal perspective that allows us to enjoy the created goods all the more. And it Absolutely. makes it that much more pleasurable. Yes, totally. sir. Totally. Yes, sir. So uh, when we get back, we're going to check uh, Facebook Live because we are Facebook Live right now. But when we get back, we're going to jump into the man gear here with Carlo Broussard from Catholic.com. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass.
Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles, here with Adam Minahan. We are in studio. We are joined via vMix call by the one and only Carlo Broussard, the Cajun uncaging the truth. We're about to uncage some truth on you with the man gear. The man gear today is epic. <laughs> As they all are. <laughs> but check this out. It's the night. It's the Jackknife 3000. <laughs> is that what he says? I don't know. I don't that. remember either. <laughs> you ever seen the movie uh, Talladega Nights, Carlo? No, I have not. You're not missing. That's me. fine. Yeah, it's fine. We're, it's one I'm of those movies that if you saw it when you were in college, it's still epic in your mind. But then if you go back and watch it, you it's realize not it's the, not so good. You shouldn't do that because you'll ruin it. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> never mind. Yeah. Uh, it's so it's a knife. It's a knife. We, Check it out. The, the, ver, the very first uh, Can episode you even see of, it? yeah, the very first episode of the Catholic Man Show, we did a pocket knife as the man gear. That was the very first thing we yeah, did. Put it up. Put it up on the uh, on the Bev, the cam. Bev cam. Let's okay. see if I can uh, Bev cam it over here. Yeah. Yeah. Check this out. So this knife, Carlo, I was telling you this before we got started. This is not a knife that I purchased at the store. I had this forged from a real life blacksmith kid C compared to a, a dead a blacksmith as opposed to like a machine okay okay i just wanted to make <laughs> sure we were clear there was a man who heated this up and pounded it with his <coughs> hammers and it is epic it is my favorite oh there we go that's better right there uh it is a nice knife thank you and but the man gear today is the fixed blade knife correct as opposed to the pocket knife, mm -hmm. uh, or even a other folding knives, there's a other folding knives. Switchblader. Yeah, that you wouldn't consider a pocket knife, right. you know. But uh, the fixed blade knife, uh, very big for hunting. Yeah, dude. Uh, Carlo, I went hunting this weekend. This was the opening season of uh, black powder for for uh, deer hunting. I went hunting this weekend, and uh, so. Hunting, hunting get, teaches a man so much, uh, and I, I'm, I'm just now getting into hunting. Last year was my first year to hunt, um, so and I'm learning so much as as we go. But are you going to tell the story? I'm, I'm going to try to just condense it down to okay. to really just really fast. Got out there early morning, dew still in the yard. I mean, all over the grass, foggy. I see the first du uh, uh, buck, and I'm like, oh yes, you know, because anytime you see anything, you know, hunting, it gets you excited, right? Because right. most of the time you're just standing, sitting up there, not doing much. Buck was too, right. way too small, so I got a chance to watch it. Anyway, so a couple of doe come out maybe an hour later. I look and I'm like, oh, cool, I get to watch it. Well, the doe were actually like looking at a buck that I couldn't see. So the buck comes walking out, and he, he's right behind a tree. So I can't quite see how big he is. But I thought, I'm sitting there looking at him, and I see how big his body is. I'm thinking, like, so this this got to be a pretty good one. This has got to be a pretty good buck. And I and I finally get close enough, or you know, he finally turns his head just enough to where I could finally get a little bit of a shot or a, a look at him. And I thought, I, I can't quite, I couldn't make up my mind, you know. And and so I decided I'm just going to do it. I'm going to pull the trigger. You know, I eat the meat, you know, anyway, so it's not like I'm, you know, I'm not trophy hunting. But um, so I I pull it, I shot him. He goes, he runs into the high grass. I, I finally, you know, so I get down, I call my buddy, say, hey, come on. Uh, I got to show you, you know, I, I got somebody, come help me. 
I, I got the deer. Come help me. And he comes over. We, 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 yeah, not somebody. Yeah. Uh, he, he, come, he comes over, and we, we track him down. And, like, I find him in the tall grass, and I, like, pull it up, and I go, oh, that one's mine? No, that can't That's be mine. That's a raccoon. That can't be mine. Like, I thought, like, this guy, this deer had, like, uh, like ground shrinkage, man. Like, he, had this, he must have had this big old antlers, and then as soon as he hit the ground, that ground just shrunk his antlers way down. It was way smaller than what I thought it was going to be. Anyway, so I, got a, I did get a buck, but it was way smaller. I used my knife. Uh, I used a, uh, Do you have it? No, it's downstairs, but... I thought you were going to have it for the sorry, episode. I forgot. That that's, was the one thing I forgot. That's a failure. I'm sorry. Uh, but I used my knife to skin it, cut them all up, you know, quarter them out, and um, get those back straps off there. And mm-hmm. um, Anyway, I, I had to have that knife. The important thing about a knife, man, is it has to, especially with deer hunting, like it has to be sharp. And you have to, like, it has to stay sharp for a while. Yeah. Yes, you need a good edge. Yeah, you got to have a good edge. Which comes down to... Well, congratulations on your kill, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Even though it was kind of like it kind of it's kind of like a, a, a good news, bad news. I got one, but it's like, yeah, I don't want to brag about this one. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it was testing. It was testing your comment of whether your motivation was trophy hunting or hunting for food. <laughs> right, but but you know, it, it, with hunting, it can be a both and, right? Why, why not both it and? I mean, a, I mean, it, 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 can, it can. You know, if, if you're gonna get the meat. It'd be nice to have a ni- it'd be nice to have one that you can brag about. Yeah, have a good picture to go along. <laughs> yeah. With. yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So I use the knife. So uh, the idea of a knife is, is very important within hunting, but it's also an important uh, when we were at the campout. We we had several guys carrying fixed blade knives all over the place. Small swords in some cases. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there are just some jobs that a folding knife is not going to be able to handle quite as well. You know, when it comes to something skinning, if you're going to be needing to, like, put a lot of pressure on a knife, uh, you want something that is high quality. I mean, don't get me wrong. There, you, you could go spend a lot of money on a nice folding knife that's going to be able to skin a deer. Sure. I, the first one I, I did, I skinned, I skinned one with a case knife. Yeah, okay. Uh, and then those are good knives. Right. Um, but there's something about just the fixed blade... Mm-hmm. You know, you can get a bigger, typically a bigger knife because, you know, the handle is not, the blade is longer than the handle on this knife. Correct. Um, it's also, it's just well balanced. Like, I mm-hmm. just really like this knife. Anyway. And it just, uh, it just looks cool whenever you sheath it, right? Totally. And it's like it does. sticking out and it just like looks bad. Yes. You know what? Yeah. It, it looks cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and it shows that you're prepared. That that's another thing it does. It shows that you're 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 a man who's prepared for any situation. Yeah. Requiring a knife. Yeah. So our buddy Eric. Very appropriate, and that's very appropriate for us as Catholic men, precisely because, as Saint Peter says in First Peter three fifteen, always be ready or prepared to give a reason or a defense or an answer to anyone who asketh you a reason for the hope that is within you. So that ties in very nicely with the idea of apologetics and being ready to defend our faith. Word. Can I ask you this? Uh, this is gonna be this is gonna get us off track. I'll let you get us back on. Okay. But I want to talk about this verse really fast because uh, everybody uses this verse, you know, to talk about the uh, apologetic side. But I think that a lot of people miss the the ending part of that verse because it's gentleness and kindness. Well, no, no, no. Uh, the hope that is within you, because oh, that's yeah, yeah. that is assuming that presupposes that you're living in a way that somebody recognizes that you are living 
countercultural to what everybody else is doing because you have mm. something different about you, this hope that's uh, engaging them for this conversation, right? Because if you're if defending – If they didn't know you had it, they wouldn't be asking or inquiring in the first place. Right, exactly. So, so I think a lot of people use this verse, and rightly so, to talk about you know the defense of our faith. But as men especially, I think we can get into this like idea of – always wanting to have the right answer, always wanting to have the, you know, the answer for the question, you know, but with that verse, it's, it's showing that you have to live it. You know, it's not just about the the head knowledge, but you have to be living that faith because it has to be, it has to showcase that, okay, there's something different about you. That's why I'm engaging you and I'm questioning you. And that's why you have to have the, the right answer. You know, that you have to have the, the apologetic side for that question. Yeah. Do you think that that's a, is that correct exegesis, I guess, of that, of that verse? Yeah, no, Adam, that's a good insight. I mean, because hope, it, the hope within us is our trust in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's going to transform the way we live our lives. It's going to affect how we order our lives um, and the way in which we behave. Waiting in joyful hope for the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that's going to give us purpose and meaning in life that goes beyond a purpose and meaning that the world can give, that's going to bring about a certain joy and happiness within our lives, that's going to manifest itself externally and our smile and the way we interact with people. And as you mentioned, people are going to pick up on that. And whenever you live in a culture that's not Christian, right, Mm-hmm. And you're behaving in a way that's countercultural. Well, then it becomes very easy to identify. Oh yeah, he's a Christian, right? Oh yeah, he's a Catholic. And so thus it it brings forth the in, the questioning. The questions begin to arise. Oh, you're Catholic? Right. Yeah, you don't do that stuff. Okay. Well, why don't you do that stuff? Right? right? Why do you believe what you believe? So I think you're spot on, Adam. We have to know the answer in more ways than one, right? Mm-hmm. The answer mm-hmm. is fundamentally Jesus himself, who is the truth, as he says in John 14, 6, right? I mean, he is God made flesh. So we not only have to know him intellectually to be able to share him with others and persuade others to embrace him as truth, but we have to know him experientially within an intimate relationship with him, within a friendship. And that, of course, is going to drive and motivate us and going to influence the way in which we do actually defend him. And this is why St. Peter will say with gentleness, kindness, with reverence, you know, the idea of right. reverencing the person to whom we're speaking in apologetics. Okay, good. I'm just like, th- I've been thinking about that for a long time, and I haven't had a chance to no, really ask somebody um, if that's even correct. So I'm glad I glad I had a chance. Anyway, the knife. I, I like it. Okay, good. The knife. It also, the reason why we picked it, is because we're going to be talking about philosophy um, in the next two segments. You know, philosophy helps sharpen the mind, similar to like how a knife is ready to get you sharp. There's yes. there's another yes. connection. So when we oh you saving the other picture? Yep. 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 I can't wait to hear it. All right, we're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass. We'll be right back. Carlo Broussard here.
Welcome back to the Capital Command Show. Sitting here with Carlo Broussard, or actually not sitting here, via, joined via VMix call with Carlo Broussard, the Cajun uncaging the truth, enjoying a nice glass of claret uh, by Michael, uh, who Michael Moore sent that to us, so we're very grateful. Yes. Did you, are you going to, um, are you going to cheers? Yes. We, toast him? Let us uh, lift our glasses to the man, Michael Moore, who... I'll tell you, it was uh, he worked hard to get this bottle of wine to us, and I just could not be more appreciative. Uh, I have found it to be delicious mm-hmm. uh, and nutritious because it has grapes. Yeah, yeah. Are you guys are you picking up a hint of grape <laughs> in this? Uh, but honestly, really, uh, Michael, I raise my glass to you. I I pray that you uh, your heart will be continually converted over the remainder of your life as. I pray all of ours will, but um, may we raise a glass together in heaven. Cheers. Cheers. Okay, Cheers so with my kitty cup here, <laughs> dude. I, <laughs> is, there a, is there a lid on that? <laughs> no, man. There's not, but it's pretty cool kitty cup, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so before the break, we were saying that uh, you know we had a knife. We we're talking about philosophy today. We're here with Carlo Broussard. You know. A knife cuts things. Philosophy, like a knife, cuts things. Cuts things. Philosophy cuts through a lot of the bull crap that people uh, talk about. So much bull crap. And it, because I think we stopped talking about logic, or we stopped teaching it in schools, lo- logic, rhetoric, philosophy. I think that that plays a role into where we are today because people can't even form arguments or, or form a logical thought process. Yeah. Um, and, and that's very important to, to be able to do. In fact, the reason why I'm so excited about this topic is because philosophy fascinates me. I love learning more about it, but I, I, I'm, I, I've never been taught. You know, the only time I ever took a philosophy class was in college, and it was like intro to life philosophy, and it was really a blow-off class. It was an elective class. The teacher didn't do anything. So anyway, like, I constantly want to learn more about it, but I was never... Yeah. trained yeah i took a philosophy right. class in college but my professor had a ponytail okay where's, hey, where's the correlation there There's some good philosophers with ponytails out there yeah i'm <laughs> yeah. trying i'm trying to figure out i'm not we were just talking about we're, we're just talking about logical arguments here and i'm just <laughs> like you just laid out a very like fallacious argument you are correct so hey, that is true. Hey, that, man, good job adam that <laughs> is <good>. fallacious <laughs> i will i will grant <laughs> however this was not a particularly strong ponytail. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so Carla, l- l- let me ask. You. So l- l- let's start it off here. Why should a regular, you know, Catholic man, the the you know, average Joe Catholic guy, why should he care or want to learn about philosophy? Well, first of all, you have to understand what is philosophy. Right. So philosophy is a branch of knowledge that concerns itself with finding the ultimate causes in things. So in distinction from science, you might be maybe a more concrete understanding of that will be to contrast it with modern methods of science. So all of these different forms of inquiry are trying to arrive at knowledge about what is real knowledge about reality, but under different aspects. So, for example, modern physics will 
uh, pursue and inquire about matter, look at matter to try to understand matter, but under the aspect of material things in motion, right? And how the fundamental elements of matter react to each other and react with forces of nature. Uh, chemistry looks at matter, but, but under the aspect of composition, biology will look at material things insofar as they are living material things and the various material components that go together to make up a living organism, right? Well, philosophy looks at reality itself, looks at things that exist, but under the aspect of the deepest, most fundamental causes and principles that constitute that thing that I'm looking at. So let's just take the human being, for example, right? I mean, science can tell us all about the matter that makes us up and the fundamental elements that constitute the body, going down to the molecules, to the atoms, to the protons, to the quarks, right? But philosophy transcends that method methodology, goes beyond what science can give us in order to explain certain features about the human being and about other things within the world that go beyond the boundaries of what the modern methods of science can tell us about. So think of it like this. Suppose we have an infrared camera, right? And we're, we're looking through this infrared camera and I'm looking at Adam and David, right? And all I see is the thermal, the signal from the heat that you're putting off being transformed and Put, put on the video screen, right? In my case, that would, be, that, that would be pretty bright. I'm just going to throw that out there. That <laughs> I would only see, you know, see the, the, the heat that you're radiating, right? So notice that the camera is restricted in what it captures about you, okay? Mm -hmm. But there's more to you that I can come to know about beyond the tool of the infrared camera. So Similarly, the modern methods of science will capture certain aspects of the world, of reality, but philosophy is the tool that allows us to go beyond what the modern methods of science can detect and come to know certain aspects about reality that the modern methods of science cannot tell us about. So, for example, if we're looking at the human being, I'm going to use philosophy to arrive at knowledge that you as a human being are not just a conglomeration of atoms, right? Not mm -hmm. just a conglomeration of material stuff, but that material stuff is actually structured and configured in a certain way that distinguishes you as a human being from the plant outside, right? Mm -hmm. That there are different kinds of things, not just a different material makeup, but a different, two different kinds of things with different operations, different activities, different things that you do. And so you have different natures. You have different sources of power or operation. You got a plant and you got a human being. Mm -hmm. And then I use philosophy in order to determine, well, that plant is distinguished from the rock. So I have a non-living thing and a living thing. What is it that distinguishes the plant from the rock as a living being, we call it a soul. So there I'm doing philosophy. But then I look at the human being and the plant, and I say, well, the human being is a living being as well, as well as the plant is. These are two living beings, but yet 
these two different types of beings have diff four different powers. The human being has some powers that share with the plant. You know, you take in nutrients, you reproduce, etc. But there are certain things that a human being does that the plant doesn't do, such as having sensation, right? Well, of course, animals have that as well. But even above the animals, we have intellect. We have will, right? So we can know things. We can love, right? And in that inquiry of coming to know about the nature of a human being, I'm using the tool of philosophy, coming to know about things and explain things about you as a human being, principles about the human being, the nature of the human being that science simply cannot capture mm -hmm. in its snapshot of what is real. So this is what philosophy does. It, it, it explains the fundamental principles and causes of reality, of things that exist. And here's why it's important, guys. Check this out. Because whenever you engage in philosophy and you begin to think, okay, I have this being here that's distinct from nothing, right? And so it actually exists. And that's the first thing the intellect observes and comes to know. There's something distinct from nothing, right? And then I begin to inquire, well, why does this thing exist rather than not exist, you see? Mm -hmm. And when I go through the philosophical analysis, I come to understand, well, this thing doesn't exist by nature, like a triangle has three straight sides by nature, right? I mean, a triangle can never not have three straight sides because three straight sides belongs to the essence of a triangle, right? Well, that tree outside and David and Adam, there was a time when these, these things didn't exist, right? Mm -hmm. So I know these things don't have existence by nature like a triangle has three straight sides by nature. So there's a distinction between what you are, right, and that you are. <laughs> yeah, The right. what is you're a human being, that you are, you exist. There's a distinction between the two. They're not the same. Mm -hmm. And that, guys, allows me to go on a philosophical journey to inquire about, well, okay, well, why is it the fact that this thing, this human thing, Adam, David, Carlo, the, the tree outside, exists, has existence, rather than not have existence? And ultimately, the answer to that question is that there is some cause that is existence by nature. Outside of nature ourselves. simply yeah, outside, outside of, ourselves. of ourselves, that simply of some cause whose nature, it belongs to its nature simply to exist. And that reality, ultimately speaking, is what we call God. And the reason why I bring that up, guys, now granted, we would need to go through that step by step to, to give a robust demonstration of that. But that's a sketch. But the reason why it's important is because without the causal activity, without the acting power of that, uncaused cause that's not caused to exist by anything else but has existence by its nature if it were not for the acting power of that uncaused cause right here and right now gentlemen we would lapse into nothingness yep. we would not exist and be distinguished from nothing and that is something to give rise to be grateful for all right Carlo, I'm glad we got the like, foundation. I feel like you have set the stage so well. Yeah, we got to take our last break. When we get back, we're going to finish this conversation on philosophy. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass.
And welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I am David Niles. I'm here with Adam Minahan. We are joined by Carlo Broussard, the Cajun uncaging the truth. He's uncaging some truth on philosophy with us. And uh, Carlo, you wanted to put a bow to tie it up Very nicely. Manly, isn't it? <laughs> a manly bow. Maybe a bowl a bowlin. Not a bow, but a bowlin. Which is, is a knot. That that oh, is a, a knot. That a is bowlin a, knot. That is a knot. It's the kind of knot that doesn't move. It's not a slip knot. <laughs> when you when you tie a bowlin, it is not going anywhere. I actually can tie a one handed bowlin. Thank you very much. It's a thing in the Boy Scouts if you fall like rock climbing and you break one arm, you need to be able to tie one without around yourself so that you can be hoisted up. Anyway. Yeah, we're way off. Okay. Impressive. Yeah. Go ahead. So speaking of being hoisted up, <laughs> before we went to the nice. break, I was talking I was talking about uh, the importance of philosophy and philosophy being a branch of knowledge that concerns itself with finding the ultimate causes of things. And I sketched out how we can philosophically inquire as to why something exists rather than not exist and come to the conclusion that the answer to that question is ultimately an uncaused cause who has existence by nature, namely God. But, but that's as what we call in philosophy an efficient cause, right? That which sort of you might think of the, the train uh, or, or me pushing my pen, pushing the pencil, right? An efficient cause or, or God causing us to exist and sustaining us in existence right now. But we can also arrive at knowledge of the our ultimate cause, not as by way of an efficient cause, but what we call in philosophy a final cause. That is to say, our ultimate end to which we're ordered. And that ultimate goal, that ultimate end to which we're ordered is the same reality that is our ultimate efficient cause and the reason why we exist, namely God himself. And when we look at it from that perspective, gentlemen, we see why philosophy is important because it can give us knowledge about the ultimate purpose and meaning of our lives, namely to come into union with, to achieve, to possess our ultimate end or goal, namely God himself, which will bring about perfection for us as human beings. He is our ultimate good. The good is that which is perfective of, of our nature, that, that which we're ordered to, given the kinds of things that we're all. And since God is our ultimate good, when we come to possess him, when we come to achieve that ultimate end, we will experience happiness. So philosophy is primarily important for us in order to have purpose in to find and become aware of the purpose and meaning of life so that gentlemen check this out we can exercise the office of the wise man and the office of the wise man is the man who orders and governs according to the end mm. and that's why philosophy is ultimately important for us as catholic men okay so carlo uh let me ask you this because this is a Science. I'm, I actually love science. I'm a big science guy. But what I don't like is when people think, oh, science is this, you know, big fancy science. And philosophy is like kind of this thing in the corner. You know, it makes me think, you know what? You wouldn't, ha you wouldn't even have your precious science without philosophy. Uh, the, way, the way I kind of think about it is that science is really a small subset of philosophy. Uh, you know, philosophy. Yeah. Well, kinda... in, ancient times, in ancient times, what we call science today, modern science, 
was considered just simply philosophy. It was a branch of philosophy in ancient yeah. times. Yeah. But because in our modern times uh, we've had a further and further division of things, what we call philosophy today is something distinct from the modern methods of science. But David, what you're bringing up is what is known as scientism, which states that yes. science is our only genuine source, our only source of genuine knowledge. And that philosophy does not give us genuine knowledge and is merely subjective knowledge. But check this out, gentlemen. That claim in and of itself is a philosophical claim. Right. Booyah. Because you can't scientifically prove that. Booyah. That's right. The truth value of that statement is not the product of the modern methods of scientific inquiry. Right. Yeah, and, and so Carlo, you have I think to do philosophy in order to make that statement, I, and this is why philosophy is important in right. order to sift through those smoke screens and expose the fallacious reasoning of such erroneous claims. I think the reason for this for scientism is because people don't even understand what science actually does. They think that science tells us what we know. And in fact, the scientific method only really tells us what we don't, what is not true. It doesn't tell us what is true because the scientific method by its nature does not prove a hypothesis correct. It can only disprove a hypothesis. You could do an experiment five times and it might work. And then the sixth time you do it all exactly the same and it doesn't work. Um, and so now you know, oh, okay, well, maybe this hypothesis is incorrect. It's only by philosophy when we can now take the scientific method, rule out what we can do is like rule out certain hypotheses or certain, you know, uh, hypotheses. Yeah. And so, okay, we know now, you know, gravity doesn't go up. Uh, we tried that and it didn't, it's never worked. It always goes down. Uh, so he's like, you can, then apply philosophy to these things that you've been able to rule out and use your logic to say now what we do know. So the scientific method doesn't actually teach us anything except things that are not true. Does that make sense? Is that well, true? Science, science can, can give us um, evidence that leads to the truth of a certain hypothesis. And what we call that in philosophy is probabilistic argumentation or probabilistic reasoning. So it's a qualified truth. So like we have good reason to think X, but given the very methodology of science, which must always be open to new data, right? It's a qualified truth claim. So it's probabilistic. Yeah. The certitude is not metaphysical certainty like you can have in philosophy, such as something cannot both be and not be in the same respect at the same place in time, right? The principle mm -hmm. of non-contradiction. Fiction. That's a metaphysical certainty because you have to assume the truth of that, that principle in order to deny it to begin with, right? Or right. that philosophy is a valid form of knowledge. To actually deny that statement, you have to assume the truth and the validity of philosophical inquiry, right? Yeah. But within yeah. the modern methods of science, it can give us knowledge about reality, but we always recognize because of its inductive method, we must always recognize that there could be new data in the future that could alter our current scientific theories that explain certain things about reality. Yeah. So it would be rational for a person to accept the conclusion of a scientific theory given the various set of evidence, the, the, um, the various mm -hmm. sets of evidence all pointing to the truth 
truth of one hypothesis. That's a rational conclusion, recognizing that the truth of that conclusion is qualified truth. It's probabilistic, right? So mm -hmm. your certainty is not as sound as you can arrive at through philosophical inquiry. And this is the myth of modernity that the modern narrative has created. Science is the only objective certain knowledge. Philosophy and religion is objective, non-certain knowledge, but it's actually the opposite. <laughs> right. Okay, so we don't have very much time. We only have a few minutes left, so, and we can't, we can't get out of this uh, episode without at least talking a little bit about uh, Augustine and Aquinas, you know, the, the basically kind of the two that have uh, you have to talk about when you talk about philosophy with, with, in the Catholic realm. Um, I want to talk a little bit about maybe, you know, obviously we have a, you start out with, you know, Plato wrote with Socrates and, and you have Aristotle and you have uh, Aquinas and you have uh, and Augustine. I mean, we have all these treasures that, that the sure. church has given us, you know, with philosophy yeah. that, that guys need to read, obviously. Uh, but give us maybe a couple that you would, you would say, you guys need to read this for sure that, you know, that are non-modern philosophers and then maybe some that are either living today or modern philosophers that we need to, we need to read as well. Yeah. Well, the intellectual giant in our Catholic tradition for philosophy and even theology and the, the model and the method with which you use, which has been highly praised by a variety of popes throughout the tradition of St. Thomas Aquinas who lived in the 13th century. The universal doctor. That's right. You know, and so your listeners can check out Atebni Patris, which was written, um, I can't remember the year, but it was an encyclical that was put out praising St. Thomas Aquinas and in the need for good philosophy and using Aquinas as our guide for good philosophy and the importance of philosophy, right? But in order to sort of uh, understand Aquinas, sometimes we have to read him through a certain lens, right? We need some help because it is pretty intense. It's pretty difficult. So the philosopher, the contemporary philosopher that I would highly, highly recommend your listeners and viewers to check out is Dr. Edward Faser, F-E-S-E-R. He is sort of at the top, um, the best Thomistic philosopher who's promoting St. Thomas Aquinas' thought in light of Aristotle, you know, the Aristotelian Thomistic worldview, right, mm -hmm. of things, and how that can address and combat the modern errors uh, promoted by the new atheists, etc. And so Edward Faser would be uh, the go-to guy, but I would also encourage your listeners to check out Dr. Peter Kreeft, right, K-R-E-E-F-T. He's a great Catholic philosopher. He writes in a very clear and simple way. He does make complex ideas very easy and digestible. Mm -hmm. And a good sort of introductory book to philosophy would be his book entitled Summa Philosophica. And he basically goes through the 10 categories of philosophy, the different branches of philosophy, and answers various questions pertaining to those branches of philosophy. So Ed Faser and Dr. Peter Kraft would be two contemporary philosophers that I would recommend for this. All right, well, we got we to gotta tell Michael Moore, thank you so much. If you're listening on the radio, we're going to continue this conversation. We have a little bit more. We're going to go with uh, Carlo with Council of Man. Yeah, so if you want to hear his recommendations on where to start, join the Council of Man, you can get this video. Yep. We're on the Lord's team. Hey, Carlo, thank you so much. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers to Jesus.